from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. On this episode of Newt's World, we have a real treat one of the fastest rising stars in the Republican Party, a very principled conservative, Senator Hawley, a man who hit the ground running because he'd served as Missouri's attorney general and he understood what it took. He did a great job from a conservative standpoint in beating Democratic incumbent Claire McCaskill in the 2018 election. He has been very aggressive in Washington as he was back when he was attorney general. Tell us a little bit about why you got into public life and why you feel so deeply about what you're doing. Well, thank you for having me, Newt. This is a real privilege to be with you. You know, I got into politics not very long ago. 2016 was the first time I'd ever run for anything. My background is in constitutional law. I was a constitutional lawyer, particularly focused on the First Amendment. I was a First Amendment lawyer. And I'm somebody who believes in the Constitution, believes in our founders' vision for our republic. I became a lawyer, in fact, because of my love for and interest in the Constitution and American history. I love and a passion I know that you share. And that's really what brought me to the law and then ultimately to run for office. And I did run for Attorney General of Missouri. And it was my interest in and passion for the Constitution and our liberties and that structure of government that our framers created that I think is the best, wisest government in the history of mankind that has given us the best country in the history of the world. And now we have the opportunity and the obligation to defend it. And I see that as my role in the United States Senate. And you've dealt with some of the most important issues 
of our time. And as a result, you've just published a new book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, which actually had its own experience of tyranny in dealing with your first publisher. Would you talk just a little bit about that? That must have been sort of a shock to you. Well, it was a bit of a shock because of the dishonesty involved in it. Simon & Schuster was the publisher that commissioned this book originally, uh, that went to me, signed me under contract to write it. And I did do that, and they were delighted with the manuscript, and it was finished. And then came January 6th, that on January 6th, I filed an objection to the state of Pennsylvania as part of the electoral certification process so that we could have a debate about exactly what went on in Pennsylvania in terms of their own failure to follow their state constitution and then their Supreme Court's intervention in the balloting process, which I thought needed to be aired out and was worthy of a debate about election integrity on the floor of the Senate. Of course, we all know what happened on that day with the riot then, and Simon & Schuster bowed to the woke mob on the very next day, on January 7th, and canceled the book contract and tried to prevent the book from coming to publication and saying that I needed to be deplatformed, essentially. They blamed me, at least in part, for the riot, which, of course, is a total and complete lie, which, and they, by the way, they, I think, they know it's a complete lie. Anybody who was watching knew it was a lie, but it was too good of an opportunity for the left to pass up to try and silence those who had opposed them and who represent a threat to them. Of course, that's half the country, 75 million Americans. So that was my experience with the woke mob cancel culture. And I'm just glad, Newt, that there are independent publishers left in this country who believe in free speech and who are willing actually to publish books and let the American people decide. So Regnery Press picked up the book and it's out now and people can buy it and read it for themselves. I had a long relationship with Regnery. I found them all to be Everyone there was principled, they were conservative, they were courageous. It's very typical of them that they would reach out because it also, frankly, I say this as an author, uh, it's a great boost for them because they now get a great book from a national leader and it gives them an increased niche that historically would have belonged to one of the bigger publishing companies. But let me go a step further because I think you really picked a topic to focus on that is at the heart of our freedom. And that's this whole issue of the First Amendment, the right of free speech, the right of religious liberty, where you've been involved. You were a lead attorney in the Hobby Lobby case, which was a major case involving religious liberty. You were deeply involved in the Hosanna Tabor case, which also protected religious liberty. Would you describe the scale of the threat you see to freedom of religion in America? I think it is a growing threat. It is an extremely dangerous and imminent threat. This used to be, as you well remember, religious liberty used to be a bipartisan consensus. And the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was adopted by both houses of Congress and signed by President Clinton, President Clinton at one time described that as one of his proudest achievements. These days, the Democrats can't wait to repeal the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and to clamp down on any sort of religious speech, religious practice, religious expression that they disagree with. I have sat in hearings at the Judiciary Committee listening to Democrats describe the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is a very basic protections. I mean, what it basically does is just reiterates the constitutional rule that government cannot burden religious faith without a showing that it is absolutely necessary. It's got to survive what's called strict scrutiny. And now the Democrats say that that is too pro-religion. In fact, they go further than that. They now say that it's racist and it's bigoted. It's homophobic and so on and so forth. Nothing can be further from the truth and that illustrates 
the disintegration of the bipartisan consensus, which is really just the left walking away from religious liberty. And we've seen this in the attacks on the Little Sisters of the Poor, for instance, at the Obama administration. And now this administration is reviving it. We're trying to force religious organizations, churches, believers to violate their deeply held beliefs about abortion and other issues. You're seeing it in attacks on religious adoption services, demanding that they give up their religious teachings in order to participate and be able to place adopted kids with families. You're seeing it in the attack on bakers and other artists who say that they can in good conscience, for instance, bake cakes for same-sex weddings. It goes on and on and on. The left no longer recognizes religious conscience as a valid source of principle or as a valid source of speech, and they're trying to steamroll it. And this is, for a country that was founded on religious liberty, this is a very, very dangerous time, and it's imperative that conservatives take our stand on the First Amendment and on the right of conscience and defend it. You know, it struck me, and I'd like to get your reaction, because with your background at Stanford and at Yale Law, you know a lot more about this than I do, but the so-called Equality Act that they're trying to pass actually ought to be called the Superiority Act, because it seems to me they're saying that there are values superior to our relationship with God and that our religious liberties should be subordinated to other values, many of them involving sexual identity. I mean, isn't that almost a complete reversal of how America was created? It is a complete reversal. It represents the government telling religious believers and people of faith, of whatever background, by the way, but telling them what religious beliefs are acceptable, what aren't acceptable, what will be allowed in the public square, what won't be allowed in the public square. And to get down to brass tacks, the Equality Act would essentially close every Christian college and university in America because it would say that no federal funding can flow in any form, in any way, to any religious college or university that does not adhere to the left's view about marriage, about gender, about sexuality, and on right on down the line. And when I say no federal funding, I'm not talking about direct money, even things like Pell Grants. The universities, colleges wouldn't be able to accept students who are using Pell Grants to go to college. So it is a very deliberate attack on religious faith, on religious institutions, and attempt again to describe and prescribe what can be said in public, what religious views are acceptable in public and which aren't, and I love that saying that I've heard used so many times that it's America didn't invent religious liberty. Religious liberty invented America. That is really true, but I think the left no longer understands that. In that context, you ride the elevator, you are on the floor of the Senate, you're talking with these folks. What do you think drives all this? It is such a radical break from everything we've known in the first 225 years of America. And it seems to be pervasive and across the board and infecting virtually everything. What do you think is behind that? I think that the secular progressivism that has really become a religion of its own has really captured the left, captured the imaginations of leaders on the left. And when I say the left, I'm thinking about the elite group, the sort of leadership class on the left. I don't think this is true of voters by and large, but I think in the leadership class of elites, the secular progressivism has really, really captured not just their attention, but their imagination. And it's become its own form of faith. It is very hostile to religious faith. It is very hostile to the constitutional principles the country was founded on. And as we're seeing, of course, it's very hostile to free speech as well. But I really think that that is what is driving forward 
the left's agenda here. And I honestly think that more and more members of Congress, certainly Democratic members of the Senate, I think they subscribe to this. I think that they are basically driven now by a form of secular progressivism that is at the base of their agenda. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Along this line about free speech, I mean, this was a big week to talk about this because Facebook's so-called oversight board decided that they would suspend former President Trump, who did get 75 million votes. What's your reaction to these oligarchs and their giant social media companies and their decision that they can basically censor anybody they want to, no matter who they are or how many votes they get? 
I think it's incredibly dangerous, and I think what it reflects, the power that it reflects, the monopoly power that it reflects, is incredibly dangerous, and I hope is a big wake-up call for anybody who wasn't already paying attention. Now is the time to sit up and pay attention and to do something about it. You know, our framers understood, and this is part of why I wrote the book, that monopoly and liberty don't go together. So as somebody who considers himself a free market conservative, someone who believes in capitalism, these concentrations of power in these monopoly companies is dangerous to the free market. In fact, it's destructive to the free market. One of the big problems we have now is we don't have real competition when it comes to these big tech platforms. President Trump, as you mentioned, now kicked off of Twitter and Facebook. Where can he go? Answer, nowhere. I mean, he has to sort of invent his own platform, which he's trying to do now, because there is no viable alternative. Why isn't there? Because there's no real competition, because these companies are monopolies. So for those of us who are free market conservatives and believe in competition, I think that this makes it very clear that we need to act in order to restore competition in these markets. But even more fundamentally, those of us who believe in liberty, in individual liberty, in the right of Americans to control their own lives, to make their own decisions for themselves and their families, the idea that these monopoly companies, these oligarchs, as you rightly put it, would tell us what we could say, would tell us who we can speak to, would take our personal information from us and use it without our permission, all of that should be anathema and it, it should be a wake-up call that it's time to act. So from your perspective, what would a solution look like? My view is, is that we can do a couple of things. I put forward several different proposals in the book, but here's where I would start. The first thing I would do is I would break up the tech companies and by that, I would start with their consolidation of multiple different industries under one firm. Sort of what used to be called conglomerate mergers, which these companies have engaged in aggressively. And here's what I mean by that. Amazon, for example, has the largest e-commerce platform in the world. Everybody's familiar with that. They also own a big chunk of the cloud, if not the dominant chunk, in Amazon Web Services, AWS. I don't think they should be allowed to own both at once. I think given their market concentration in both spheres, combining them together is anti-competitive. You can say the same thing about Facebook with Instagram and WhatsApp. Those are two companies Facebook purchased, didn't develop them, purchased them in order to forestall competition. I think they should have to spin those off. Google, Google has the overwhelmingly dominant search engine in the world. Google also owns digital advertising. If you want to advertise anywhere digitally in this country or in the world, you have to go through Google. They have a monopoly in digital advertising. Those two things, I think, should be broken up. They shouldn't be able to do both at once. So that's where I would start in terms of breaking up the companies. And then I would say I would give individuals the right to sue these companies if the companies violate their terms of service and engage in censorship that is not in good faith. Right now, you can't sue them. They're protected by federal law. I'd let Americans go to court. I was struck when the New York Post was censored about two or three weeks before the election. I was struck there should have been a right to sue at that point because they were doing economic harm for political reasons. But nonetheless, they were doing economic harm to the New York Post, which had to rely on them almost as monopoly common carriers. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and one of the perverse things about the power that these companies have now is that they force us to agree to terms of service when you sign up. Open your Facebook account, get a Twitter profile, and there's a terms of service, you agree to it. But if the companies choose not to abide by it, you can't do anything. 
It's not enforceable. It's a contract that is not enforceable. The companies have all the power. The customer has no power. I think we need to redress that balance. In no other sphere in our economy or American life is that true. And the only reason it's true for these companies is the federal government has given them immunity. The federal government has intervened and given them a special shield. And I think it's time to remove that and allow those terms of service contracts to become enforceable. I was doubly struck because it's not just a matter of our freedom of speech, but there's also a judgment question here. There are at least five Chinese Communist Party websites with about 146 million people, and that's a totalitarian system that's currently both the Biden and the Trump administrations have said that they're engaged in genocide against the Uyghurs in Western China. The Cuban communist dictatorship has a site on Facebook. Maduro, the dictator of Venezuela, has about a million eight hundred thousand followers. Putin has two sites on Facebook, and the head of the Iranian dictatorship has a site on Facebook. I mean, I don't understand. Granted, left wingism. Granted, they don't like Donald Trump. I get all that, but why they would think it makes sense to silence a former American president? while keeping the system open for a whole series of dictatorships, I really don't get what's going on. I don't either, and I think it exposes their lack of seriousness when they talk about, when they hide behind the fig leaf of, we can't permit there to be disinformation, we can't permit there to be fake news out in the ether, and anybody who spews that is going to be taken down, set aside for a moment the fact that, of course, they only apply that label to speech they don't like in our country. That just usually means conservative viewpoint. But when you have actual disinformation, when you have actual rhetoric from violent dictatorships, as you've just said, they turn a blind eye. They're not concerned about it. So I think it shows you that all of that is a rhetorical smokescreen for the fact that they have a woke leftist outlook. They want to silence conservatives. They want to silence those who disagree with them, and they are perfectly willing, in fact, eager to use their monopoly power to do it. And uh, this is why that monopoly power is so dangerous. As a historian, I'm in total agreement with you when you describe these oligarchs and their monopolies as the equivalent of the robber barons of the 19th century. But I think for our listeners, it would be helpful for them to hear from you what are the parallels you're drawing here between how we had to deal with large concentrations of power from about 1870 on and where we find ourselves today? You know, you had there in the late 19th century, you had companies for the first time in American history reach a size and scale where they could exert tremendous control over the economy as a whole. The railroads did this and the companies like Standard Oil as well. So tremendous, tremendous amounts of economic control and then also political power. And I talk about this in the book. The railroads really tried to project their power into American politics by influencing state legislators, bribing state legislators. They tried to bribe members of the United States Congress with some success. So it's really extraordinary, the concentrated power that they had. And you know, we had a solution to that. And when I say we, I mean Republicans. The Republican Party was the party of trust busting. We basically invented it as a policy tool. And we did it in the name of the founders and their vision of rule by the people. And we said, we're not going to allow monopolies to control our economy and to shut out competition. And we're not going to allow monopolies to overrule the people and insert their own voices, preferences, and power in the place of the people's sovereignty. And so that's why we broke up 
the railroad companies. And that's why you got the first wave of trust busting, led largely by Theodore Roosevelt. And then also, people don't tend to remember it, William Howard Taft, who had carried on a number, a large number of antitrust suits. This, I think, is a legacy we need to recover because today, these tech companies in particular, although there are other major concentrations of power we should be concerned about, but the tech companies have even more power than the railroads or Standard Oil could have imagined because they've got not just power over commerce, they've got power over speech, as we've been discussing, over news, over information, over journalism. So I think they really are the robber barons of the current era. And conservatives and Republicans need to remember our history of trust busting and say, for the sake of free markets, for the sake of competition, and above all, for the sake of liberty, we're going to act to disperse this concentrated power and make sure that the people's sovereignty is primary. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. You make a point in your book that even among Republicans, you found real resistance, particularly to trying to get Zuckerberg to testify. Why were Republicans cautious or unwilling to hold these oligarchs to account? Some of it, I think, is ideological in the sense that in this new context, there's always the task of translating our principles and our commitments into a new context. And I think for some Republicans, the idea of breaking up a company or of trust busting in any sense strikes them as interference. They would say, well, that sounds like government interference in the market, and we're very much against that. 
And of course, the answer to that is, is that we are absolutely against central planning. We are against government picking winners and losers in the economy, but we are for competition and we are for free markets. And so there are times in American history, and I argue that this is one of those times, when government has to intervene to restore the balance of the free market, to restore competition, this is why we have the anti-monopoly laws that we have. So I think a little bit of it is just coming to grips with the present circumstances and the power of monopoly. The other piece of it, Newt, is that these companies, as you know, are very, very influential. They have spent lots of money over years purchasing influence in Washington with lobbyists, of course, but also with think tanks, also with academics. And that echo chamber they've created does have an effect on members of Congress. And you know this from your own experience. I mean, it's amazing how you can gin up an echo chamber and have everybody in the Capitol believe one thing and voters everywhere else know that the opposite is true. And I think there's some of that influence with big tech. I think Republican members of Congress have heard for so long from the echo chamber that, oh, you mustn't interfere with big tech. You mustn't challenge big tech. Big tech represents the best of America, that it's hard sometimes to break out of that and to realize actually what they're doing is dangerous for liberty and for the free market. You've had such a fascinating career and you've been so courageously willing to take on some very, very tough issues. I'm just curious, what's your general sense of having served in the Senate? Does it meet your expectations? Is it better or worse than being Attorney General of Missouri? How would you describe it all? Well, it's very different than being Attorney General. And I have to tell you, the transition was an interesting one for me because as Attorney General, you know, I was a prosecutor, I was the chief law enforcement agent of the state. And so, with these tech companies, for example, I opened the first antitrust investigation of any state attorney general in the country of Google and Facebook when I was AG. And, you know, that was my decision that I got to make. You know, the Senate, that's not an executive body. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of sitting around and waiting and listening in the Senate. I do think that the logistics and temperament of the place aside, I do think that the Senate right now is in a particularly dysfunctional period in its history. The Senate has, has given away Congress has given away so much of its responsibility to bureaucrats and the administrative state and even the executive that I think that we're really in danger of the people's elected representatives no longer having much of a voice in our government. If you want an example of this that I know you know all too well, if you look at, for instance, the budget, this is the biggest thing Congress does every year. It's taxing and spending, arguably the most important thing that we do year on year. And at this stage in our history, I was surprised to learn that no congressman, woman, or senator has any particular influence over that process except for the Speaker of the House, the Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Minority Leader, and the President. I mean, it's three or four people who really hammer out the details, make the decisions, and then, you know, put it to an up or down vote. And that's not healthy, by the way. I mean, Congress has really become very dysfunctional, and I think has given up much, has shirked would be another word for that, much of its responsibility to actually legislate, to make hard choices, and to govern. And that's not good, because as a representative institution, that means that the people have less and less voice in their government, and unelected administrators have more and more. Let me ask you one question that's in a totally different zone because of your knowledge, both of Missouri and of the law. There have been recent reports of apparently extraordinary prosecutorial abuse with the district attorney of St. Louis involving your former governor. Has this surprised you? From what I've been able to read, I'm a non-lawyer, but nonetheless, this is extraordinary behavior that may well itself turn out to be a series of felonies. It is extraordinary behavior, and this is a prosecutor who is one of those George Soros-backed prosecutors 
The left, I will give them credit on this. I mean, they saw an opportunity with uh, district attorneys in Missouri. We call them prosecuting attorneys, and we have one in basically every county. They're independently elected. And uh, Soros in Missouri and other places said, what we ought to do is go in and fund these prosecutors, and then they'll make decisions, for instance, about whether or not to charge rioters or to charge folks who assault cops. And this prosecutor has been just what George Soros would have hoped for in terms of the riots, the terrible riots last year that included riots in St. Louis, Missouri. She basically refused to prosecute rioters. I mean, she let off dozens and dozens and dozens of violent criminals, violent rioters who the police referred to her for prosecution, wouldn't prosecute them. I think probably the whole country remembers the McCloskeys. This is the St. Louis couple who stood in their own front yard with legal firearms and told a mob to get off of their front yard, and she prosecuted them. And there are allegations that she fabricated or otherwise interfered with evidence in that case also. So this is quite a train of abuses. The investigation is underway by the bar, so you know I don't know. We'll reserve judgment until the evidence is finally assessed, but I'll just tell you, Newt, that you look at the pattern here over years, and it is a pattern of prosecutorial abuse on a very big scale. I appreciate you giving us that briefing. And I want to remind everybody that Josh's new book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, is available. We will have it on our show page with a link so you can get a copy. You've really been remarkably informative today. I think you have a huge future, and I think that you're going to make a mark that's very positive for freedom in America. So I want to thank you for being with us and for taking this time out of your extraordinarily busy schedule to talk about an issue that's dear to both of our hearts. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been a real privilege. Neutral is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family 
cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.